Hey folks, welcome to episode 215 of the FLW Podcast in Benton, Kentucky. I'm Jody White, joined as always by the one and the only Kyle Wood. Hello. Uh, from Hopkins, Minnesota. Uh, this is going to be a all-Kyle and Jody episode. We certainly might have an interview or two for you later in the week, but we have essentially like a week and a half of podcasts to make up to you. We also have a whole FLW tour event to make up to you. So <laughs> it's just going to be us. As you might be able to tell, I'm sick. So hopefully I survive this episode. <laughs> you actually sound pretty good, though. Yeah, we'll see, like, after another 25 minutes of talking. Yeah, okay, I got you. Now, granted, nobody else is really in the office today, so I've kind of just been sitting by myself working <laughs> and haven't been talking to anybody. So maybe I just need to get kind of looped up. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, we got a lot. We got a lot to talk about because we had a whole FLW tour event. Um, how do you think? What do you think the best way to cover this thing is? Um, oh man, I don't know. I guess just dive right into the fact that there was a tour event on Sam Rayburn. Uh, that there was, um, and obviously, <laughs> like folks got kind of a glimpse from our postponement episode. Uh, but because it was you and I and a competitor who was currently in the tournament, you and I probably didn't dive into as much as how other people were catching their fish versus how Sam George was catching his fish. So, like, yeah, why don't we why don't we start and talk about Terry Bolton? Because, like, by the time you're listening to this, day five is probably going to be on the website. Uh, if not, it's going to be there soon. Obviously, you watched a whole lot of live. Like, mm-hmm. you pretty much saw Terry Bolton catch his fish. Uh or you should have a pretty good idea of it. But, Kyle, you were in the boat with him some. Do you want to kind of, and you actually got to fish some of his areas, do you want to kind of describe what he was doing? Yeah, it was, um, I think we talked about it a little bit with Sam in that it was kind of interesting to see some of these top guys really limited to, like, very small spots, like very specific spots. And whether it's a void in the grass, um the inside grass line, uh, but like kind of making, you know, almost the same cast over and over and over and over. Thrift did it. Sam George did it. Uh, Bolton obviously did it. And he really, I mean, so I watched Bolton on day three, and I know you watched him for a couple of days. When I was with him on day three, I think I saw him fish maybe four different spots. That were all within like a mile of each other. Well, honestly, probably maybe even less than that. Um, but it was like two that he spent the most time on. What about when you watched him? So when I watched him, he caught 33 pounds. Uh, the first <laughs> time I watched him. one spot. Uh, and he was on one spot. Yeah. And yeah. then he left <clears throat> to uh, ride into this, off into the sunset after catching a nine-pounder. Uh, and it was extremely epic <laughs> uh so cool um also i took some good pictures that day which granted you're gonna get a lot of opportunities when you're talking about a guy catching you know 33 pounds but on his big one like i got kind of lucky because it was so big it threw everything out of whack and he ended up landing on my side of the boat as opposed to like i'd been sort of spot locked like dead in front so i could get either side mm-hmm. but then he like drifted and it just dude it set up good 
Well, uh, uh, you were dialed. Yeah. But anyway, he basically fished that one spot. On the final day, I followed him a lot. And he basically ran, well, he ran three spots to start, essentially. You know, he ran his sort of starting spot, which is where you saw people saw him start day three on live and catch like a fish every other cast. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like a little bit, I guess a little bit shallower, maybe a little, he's, he called it like an inside bear spot kind of in the grass. Yes. And uh, he would start that, he started there. Then he ran his juice spot, you know, the uh, ultra, the ultra hog zone. Yep. And then he also fished a spot that was kind of in the middle of one of the bays that was really more of a, this is day four, it was really more of an offshore kind of spot. Like, it looked, if you looked at it on the map, it, it looked a lot more like something Thrift was fishing. You know, oh, okay. he threw a Carolina rig some, like the first time he fished it, he idled up to it and went around it a little bit. And, you know, we caught him on a crankbait and a Carolina rig, like mostly a DT-16 and a Carolina rig out there. But he never really caught a big one. I think he might have called, like, a little bit there or something. And then his final gotcha. spot was, I guess, probably more similar to his first spot than anything else. Like, it was it was very close to the old tree line. Um, and he caught him. And that was his fourth spot that he fished you know, down in the next bay down. And, like, that he went... Like, I, I texted, you know, I texted in. I was like, man, I think Bolton's running out of fish. You know, he's, like, just... He's, like, just rotated all three of his spots and, like, caught, like, one little one or whatever. It's like, it's not mm-hmm. happening. I'm like, he's running out of fish. And when he started to run, I kind of debated, should I just go back to the ramp or should I follow him all the way down there? And I followed him all the way down to, you know, where he went. And, you know, he and I blew past Thrift and I forget what i think it's veach is what it's called yep Yep. uh but i don't know my rayburn names really well but anyway you know he blows into the back of there pulls up on the on this bank and pulls out the crankbait and like starts catching fish pretty quick and then i had to leave he called like twice he made like two pretty small calls and then i had to leave and as i'm idling away i i sort of look back and he's calling again and i guess that was like a four pounder that was his like that was the fish that got him over the hump. And, yes. Uh, then he lost one that he thought was the one that would lose it for him. Um, but dude, it was a very exciting tournament. It was. It it really was. Uh, I think the the gist of, I mean, Bolton had some areas even in day five. Uh, he was pointing out some waypoints that he didn't even fish during the tournament. It was just stuff that looked good that he found in practice uh, and just never had to utilize. But I think if we really want to hone in on two things to kind of talk about, uh, I think Hog Branch was where the 33 pounds went down, which is like Indian Creek is in that or next to it. Um, But it basically, his starting spot to get a limit and the spot where he caught 33 pounds were pretty much like 300 yards apart. Yeah, they were right next to each other. Are you calling it Hog Branch because he was casting at that log in the water or is that what it was actually called uh i think that's what it's actually called okay um i'm gonna see that if I can... part that part of the lake it's that basically set, that creek it's either that or indian creek <clears throat> or it's like that arm yeah the, the first yeah. arm to the south of the bridge yeah on the east side yeah. anyway the starting spot um like you said it's an inside 
grass line, but there's actually a little point, uh, and then there's like a, a ditch or an old creek channel that runs back into a little pocket. And if you watched live, you probably saw like one dead cedar tree sitting there. That was kind of like the start of the point. And that one, he'd kind of move up and down a little more, but um, that was like a prime DT-10. Uh, every now and then he'd throw a DT-14 in there. But that was like, I don't think he ever really caught too many good ones out of there. Um, but he would definitely get his limit. And then the spot he caught 33 pounds on and really produced actually uh, bulk of his like 20-pound weight on the first day was that little ditch. And it was really, he found it idling. You've heard it a thousand times, but he was literally like just driving around and he was going to idle around the point. And he looked at his down imaging and there was a, a trough in the grass, a void of hydrilla that was like 19 feet deep. And it was loaded with fish. He could see them all suspended in there. And he made a cast, caught a six, and then caught like a two. And was like, I don't know, that could be a good spot. Turns out it was a really good, good spot. spot. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, that's kind of the deal. I think really on Rayburn, kind of, you know, no matter the time of year, if it would have been normal water level, you know, guys fish a lot of those drains in the grass, a lot of those ditches where there is no grass. Um, you know, it just gives a place for fish to ambush uh, bait. It honestly in a way kind of reminded me of uh, Chris Johnston's, one of the spots he fished on the Harris chain last year. He had kind of like a main lake spot uh, where there was like a, just a sandy void in the grass and bait was loaded up in there and he caught a couple of great big ones out of there. Like he caught an eight something out of there one day and um, it's just a juicy spot. Moral of the story is, uh, you know, you should always pay attention to your electronics because you never know when you're going to stumble upon uh, the spot that's probably, or, I mean, really, it's ultimately going to lead you to the uh, your first tour win of your career. Just, you know, glance around at your graph every now and again. Yeah, for sure. One other thing that I wanted to, like, sort of throw out there, because if you look at, like, Terry Bolton's stats, the reason he's a pro angler is because of Kentucky Lake. Like, when... Uh, tournament comes to Kentucky, yeah. he makes money. And I thought it was really cool to see him get the get his first win not at Kentucky Lake. Uh, For sure. But it was also kind of neat. Like you could you could see that he was doing things that he was super comfortable with. And I think despite it being not Kentucky Lake and you know a whole different kind of fishery. I think he was sort of like he was very well trained and very expert in what he was doing because oh without a doubt if you think about it like first of all he threw a spinner bait and a crank bait and Terry Bolton's awesome at that but you know Kentucky Lake fluctuates a lot and like he is great at dealing with big schools of fish specific spots electronics what to do with rising water when fish aren't necessarily in the bushes like mm-hmm. if he'd figured out something in the bushes it wouldn't have surprised me because. You know, like he and Ramey Colson, they're are great at that on Kentucky Lake. For but sure. You also on Kentucky Lake, like you've got to be really well versed in how to catch them on a crankbait when the water's up and they're not in the bushes, because that situation is going to arise. And like, you know, he perfectly called the college fishing open last year. Remember when they started pulling the water and he's yep. like, "Yeah, it'll take yep. twenty five pounds a day, and they'll do it on a crankbait on points." And well, what do you know? 
<laughs> the, the water was up. There were some teams in the bushes, and the guys who won caught them on a crankbait on points, and they caught like 25 pounds a day. Like So, you know, to me, you kind of got to see Bolton, like, at his best, despite not being on his home turf. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. And that was cool. That was really cool. And, man, I mean, he smashed them. Like, everybody smashed them. Like, it was a great tournament. Like, I knew Sam Rayburn had them, and practice kind of beat me down a little bit. But it really, like, Sam Rayburn, like, really showed out. It, it did. And, uh, I mean, it was also cool. Like, Terry's one of those guys who is, like, really in tune to what he's throwing, what he's throwing it on, like, in terms of line, uh, line size, or type of line, and, like, why he's doing it. Like, when we got out there for day five, he was like, you know, when I got down here and I knew, like, I saw the water was up, I saw that was dirty, I saw the water was, um, you know, fairly cold. He's like, fish love to suspend. That's what they, that's what they do. And he's like, so I started thinking, like, if I'm going to cover some water, you know, I'm going to need a, a big spinner bait, and I'm going to need like a crankbait I can get above the hydrilla. And I was like, wow. See, like right out the gate, Terry, like, boom. First thing was like, oh, okay, yeah. Here's what I got going on. Here's what I'm going to do. And then he kind of talked about it um, on live and, and in day five, but like his first couple of bites. On the first day, they were his fish were getting hooked on the outside of the mouth bottom jaw. And he's like, what that was telling me is my crankbait was running too deep and they were coming down to hit it, you know, and basically trying to like pin it to the bottom or towards the bottom and getting hooked on the outside. So he made an adjustment through that DT-10, got it up higher in the water column, and they started choking it. You know, so like the dude made some pretty cool mid-tournament adjustments uh, and not that everyone that wins a tour event doesn't, you know, usually you have to make some sort of change, but it, it was really cool hearing Terry because he's so good at throwing a crankbait uh, and a spinnerbait because he did catch some on that and hopefully he wins one on a spinnerbait someday so we get all kinds of fun spinnerbait tips and tricks. Blade! <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, like, it, it was really, really cool being in the boat with him and having him walk through, like, why he did what he did. And I'm sure if you watch live, um, you got a full taste of that because terry is like such a knowledgeable dude in that regard well really with like pretty much anything he does um it's kind of like when you talk with wesley strader about spinnerbaits too like you know he gets into like wire size and you know the skirt type of skirt blade size blade color like it was really cool to get uh the whole dt cranking system for cold water right out of terry bolton's mouth that that's for sure and like i'm i was super pumped that he won it uh oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. every everyone was really like even you know obviously like if nick if if nick lebrun had won it would have been an amazing storyline and if thrifted won it would have been well it would have been not an amazing storyline necessarily <laughs> it would have been a storyline but for like sure. <laughs> okay thrifted again still the best uh Yawn. still is the best i mean as as usual <laughs> Um, although I wonder, I guess, you know, Thrift is probably one. He's the list of places where Thrift has been to twice and won both times is probably not extremely long. So like we would have had to start talking about Brian Thrift, Sam Rayburn legend. Um, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Uh, but man, it was, uh, it was neat. Um, anything because of the, because of the high water and like, 
just because of how that tournament shook out, I think it was a it was a really interesting top ten and like just a lot of patterns that kind of were kind of cool, like kind of jumped out at you. Because like I was uh, I got a blog in from Brian Latimer. I think we're gonna run it on the web here uh, shortly. It may be up when we're reading it when you know you're listening. It may not be, but he was saying that this is one of the few true winter time tour events we've had. Uh, and he's kind of right, at least in that I can think of, uh, especially oh, yeah. outside of Florida. And like that opens up a whole range of stuff that doesn't normally happen. Like Latimer caught a bunch of fish on a jigging spoon. Uh, Bradley Holman caught fish on a jigging spoon. Like there was a, a lot of guys caught fish on a spoon. Yeah. Like, Scott Martin, Andrew Upshaw. Yeah. So like there was this whole, not only were there a lot of suspended fish, which We've said this before, but if you could throw an A-Rig in this derby, it would have crushed. It would have oh, taken yeah. 100 pounds to win this tournament if you guys could throw an A-Rig. Right? Oh, yeah. I don't... I think without question. Yeah. But, like, it was... You know, it... It opened a whole lot of stuff up from the perspective that it really was pretty wintry. And it was high. And, like, watching... Watching LeBrun, like, sort of how methodic he had essentially he had a few spots and on day on the final day he really leaned on just one spot and like he fished it like very methodically you know he'd fire a senko in there a little bit he'd throw a big spinner bait with like a single colorado in there a little bit like he was just easing it along and Mm -hmm. catching big ones like chad warren I don't like what Chad Warren was doing is somewhat of a mystery to me, but like he was catching them. And then on the final day, he made a change to like a six XD from where he had been throwing a Carolina rig on a starting spot. And like he was catching every cast for a little while. Yeah. Uh, yep. Like watching Jim Tut uh, fish that little, uh, that bad Chad was like suit was super cool. Like that was fun. Like, it was, uh, there was a lot going on that was not normal Sam Rayburn. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was a really cool tournament from that perspective. I thought you might say more. Nope. That was all I had. <laughs> all right. That was for sure. Is there any, was there any, like, the lower, you know, the non, the non uh, Terry Bolton patterns that you, like, most got a kick out of or anything like that? Man, I don't... Because a lot of it sort of seemed like it was about... Guys would find ways to get a few big bites, but a lot of it seemed to be like finding a concentration of fish. Like, Jordan Osborne found a big group of fish, and he milked it hard on day one. And, like, yeah. Sam George found a concentration of fish, and he it had some big ones mixed in. And, like, you know, you look at... Uh, I'm trying to think. You look at, like, Charles Sim. He made, like, the same cast for, like, almost all of his fish. Uh, same goes for like Cordiana, you know, he had this one little area in the back of a Creek and like, that's where they were. And it, it seemed like you wouldn't for a tournament when the water is really high and there's so much in the bushes, you wouldn't have thought that it would be so much of an idling tournament, but like, man, I think in this one, if you put your time in idling, you found some fish. Yeah, it was also really interesting uh, how the majority of the top 10 existed from, like, Veach 
up to the bridge. Well, and actually, I guess a little above it. But really, if you, that little, uh, I mean, it's still a decent chunk of Rayburn, but I mean, if you look at it on a map, that little area there was kind of like the juice. And I suppose you could even break it down a little more and say Veach plus some of that stuff immediately surrounding the bridge, like up or down, plus or minus kind of thing, was where a lot of the, you know, top guys uh, survive from. Like, uh, I mean, shoot, in Veach you had Sam George, Jordan Osborne, uh, Brian Thrift, and, well, I mean, those three dudes alone lived off of three different spots and made the top ten. No, for sure. You you can kind of expand it out a little bit. Like, I don't know the names of the other arms, like the arms to the right of takeoff, you know, to the east. But mm-hmm. Charles Sim fished in there. Cordiana fished in there. Um, who else fished in there? Miles Berghoff did. Miles, yep. Like, and those guys almost made the cut. And then, like, David Dudley and Scott Martin caught a lot of fish in, uh, it's called, I think, Cane, Cane? Creek. Yeah. Yeah. And that's essentially across the lake from Veach, but it's still definitely a little more down. So, like, you can kind of expand it out, and, like, obviously the whole lake is good, but you're right. It was really – there was a hot zone of that lake for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, man, it was a blast. It was fun. Having Marshalls was amazing. Like, I loved – I just – first of all, I love the pros – not having to guard fish and just yes. being able to fish however they wanted to. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if Terry Bolton doesn't win that tournament if he's got a co-angler because, you know, maybe that co-angler catches the nine-pounder. And, mm-hmm. like, I, I – and obviously we've been over this a million times, but just – it was just nice. It was the way, way top-level derbies should be. Um, oh yeah it was glorious uh, but it was also like great to have marshals there like i watched um on day two i think or day one i watched uh troy morrow like essentially like giving electronics lessons while he's fishing off the bow and he's like pointing <laughs> stuff out to his and like to his marshal like seriously if you can have you know troy morrow teach you about electronics like do that <laughs> because yeah yeah do not pass <laughs> let me tell up. you the man knows what he's doing that's for sure so like you got that going on you know guys like you got to see some pretty cool things and granted there were some guys who sucked out there and probably if you'd been stuck with them all day it might not have been a great day but man there was some cool stuff going on and like i think most of the marshals like had a pretty good time saw some pretty cool things like i think it's gonna be i'm looking forward to like I'm looking forward to seeing the program continue. Oh, yeah. Uh, from that perspective. Um, anyhow. I guess that, well, I won't say it covers it, but, like, that's a pretty good, uh, that's a pretty good chunk on Rayburn. Um, shall we dig into our uh, fantasy fishing that we did? And then uh, maybe if we yeah. have any other ideas or whatever, bring that up. Yep. All right. Uh, so... As everybody knows, we ran fantasy fishing for this event. Uh, basically, Kyle and I did it. Um, and uh, we do have a winner. Um, the winner was Dan Roberts. 
he had a 25.3 average. He started Dickie Newberry, Nick LeBrun, and John Cox. Uh, Newberry finished 71st. He was LeBrun finished second, and John Cox finished 32nd. Uh, so anyway, thank you for everybody who entered. Um, Dan, uh, I don't know if you sent me your address or not, but if you want to send it again, uh, please do. Because we'll figure out a way to get a prize of some sort headed your way. You know, we could probably like reply to the email as well and be like, "Hey, I can do that. I can do that too." <laughs> Dan, we're going to reply to the email. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, I, we could do whatever. I'm just yeah. saying, you know, maybe he's behind on his podcast. No, 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 and... that's fair. Uh, Dan was, I think, the third person to send in an entry, though. So, like, if my if my order, I've got them all typed in, is right, though. So, like. He might be pretty clutch on listening to stuff as soon as it comes out. Well, true. And he did a really good job of the problem with picking three dudes in these, uh, you know, Most everybody picked a bomb. Like, you either Yeah, you got to avoid that bomb. A lot of people picked either Newberry or uh, Castledine, and neither of those guys had good derbies. And obviously, Dan, like, he did well with Cox, and he did great with LeBrun, and that was key. Like uh, Matt uh, Lazenby, like could have straight crushed it, along with uh, Brett Yonke. Yeah, both had really good, really oh man, two really great picks, and then a real bummer. Yeah, um, but hey, such is life. You get to try again at the next one. What do you want to do for the next one? What's our... So for Toho, obviously, we'll start taking in picks as soon as you want to send them. All the way up to takeoff. Who do you want... Oh, how do you want to, like, do this as far as points? Or I feel, I feel like we need to have kind of like a tiered system. So you just can't be going around like... Uh, like the... Two regular dudes and a rookie was fun, I think, for the first one. Now I think we should go to, like, a tiered system. What about one guy in the top 50? One guy in, so, like, 1 through 50. One guy yep. 51 through 100. And yep. one guy 101 down. Yeah. Yeah, I could dig that. That actually, if you look at the folks who are there's some guys 101 that, down, like, yeah. there's some sticks down there. Like, there are some guys... Oh, man, Jared McMillan. Everybody's going to pick him. <laughs> man, Jared McMillan had the basically opposite start to his tour season this year as yeah, he did no last kidding. year. Um, okay, yeah. Uh, Jared McMillan is the guy you want there for sure. Um, but if you don't take Jared <laughs> McMillan, props to you. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so I think that's a good that's a good system. Would you say? Yep. Oh, yeah, I am 100% on board with that. It makes it really easy, too. Yeah. 1 to 50, 51 to 100, and 101 down. One from each group. Yep. Send one in, podcast at flwfishing.com. We'll tabulate them, and post-tournament, post we'll pick a winner. Yes. I almost want to pick have guys pick more people. I mean, I do want to have guys pick more people, but it would until I figure out an automated system, it would be so much more work for me that I'm not going to tell people to pick more people. Yeah. Because uh, three is a little bit, it's a little iffy. Um, but you know what? It happens. This is this is what we're doing. Yep, yep. That's just 
how it's going to go. Um, anything else from Rayburn? I feel I kind of expected us to talk about this for a little bit longer, which is not necessarily a bad thing because um, uh, people hear us talk plenty. I mean, I don't think so. I feel like we got a decent amount out on the uh, postponement podcast, that's, which if that's you haven't true. listened to, you should go listen to it because it was pretty good. Yeah. Hey, I want to shout out Chad Warren, by the way. Back-to-back top tens in FLW Tour competition. That's right. The Potomac was uh, his yep. last also, one. Chad Warren has a knack for big eye in them on the final day. Because <laughs> uh, we thought he was going to win at the Potomac, and we thought he had a lot more weight than he did at Sam Rayburn. Mm-hmm. So, Chad, I love you. Uh, but if you want to get at more accurate with your estimates, that'd be great too. Um, yeah, no shame in using a scale. Yeah. Also, one side note, though, Chad Warren, I won't say should, but could have, he could very easily have an FLW series win to his record. A few years ago at Grand Lake, uh, I think the one that Burge won, um, he only had four fish in the final day. If he weighs in one more fish, he wins that derby. And his co mm-hmm. caught like mm-hmm. a four-pounder mm-hmm. out of the back of his boat in one spot. So, like... Definitely, he had the potential uh, for a win there. And, like, if he's got that win and now he's qualified for the tour twice, he's got a pair of top tour top tens, like, you start thinking about him a little bit differently, I think. So, I guess what I'm saying is watch out for Chad Warren. Well, and especially at Grand Lake this year, I feel like, uh, you know, yeah, could be oh, a really dude. good time for a Warren victory. Well, it could be. There's several anglers. Uh, you know, Jason Christ. well, wait, wrong Jason Christie. Nope, no, uh, another one. But uh, Bradley Hallman, you know, there's several anglers at Grand Lake who could have really good derbies. Dude, what if it comes down to, like, Hallman, Warren, one-on-one final day? Like, they're the only two in contention. Well, that'd be It's great. just a good old-fashioned Oklahoma shootout. Uh, that would be phenomenal. And uh, I tell you what, I'm going to be on, I'm going to be on Hallman because he and I have that final day mojo. Hey man, I'll be I'll be on uh, Warren like white on rice. I like it. I like it. Um, we should. I think uh, as far as like angler of the year race and whatnot, like probably probably a little silly to talk about that now, especially considering Brian Thrift made the top ten. <laughs> um, but as far as like rookie of the year race, um, with LeBrun having a really great derby to start off. Sam George having a really great derby to start off and Miles Berghoff having a really great derby to start off. Like Mm -hmm. it looks like we could have a pretty spicy uh, rookie of the year race because I really want to see what LeBrun does when he gets out of Texas and gets to places that he hasn't pre-fished for that are much more new to him. But like Berghoff's got a lot of experience in Florida and on Toho and Kissimmee chain, that sort of thing. Like, it would be no surprise for me to see him do well, to see him do well there. And like Sam George has fished, you know, at least one open there if before, maybe more like he's got a lot of Florida experience. I don't historically I don't think he's super put it together in Florida, but like that doesn't mean that somebody won't put it together in Florida cuz look at how long it took Cody Meyer to put Florida together, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So I guess what I'm saying is I think we could still be looking at a very interesting uh, rookie of the year race, you know, after this thing. Oh, after, for sure. Uh, after Toho. 
Um, okay, I think I'm done now on Rayburn. Okay, okay. Um, but man, that was fun. It's so good to have tournaments again. Oh yeah, and we are uh, we're just kind of getting ready to. Uh, well, really, I think this weekend definitely ignites full-on tournament uh, season as I look ahead on the calendar here. Yeah. Uh, it's about to start going down. Well, what do we have this weekend? Well, uh, <laughs> along the lines of greatest segues ever, we have two BFL tournaments uh, happening this Saturday, the 26th. Uh, we have a Cowboy Division event on Toledo Bend. Uh, they'll probably wreck them. And we also have a Gator Division event on Okeechobee, which will be pretty sweet because the following weekend is the Coast FLW Series Southeastern Division season opener on Lake Okeechobee. So we'll get kind of a little glimpse as to how the Big O is fishing. And uh, then we're going to be, you know, tour event after that, also in Florida. Uh, so, like, get ready for your your uh, annual dose of Florida on the flwfishing.com homepage. Now, because of the Bass Central Open, I'm going to be paying a lot of attention to this Toledo Bend event. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) That said, yeah, I'm so hyped that we've got BFLs uh, going on again. And, like, I love, you know, BFL, then the Costa event. Because you know there's going to be guys who slip into that BFL who also are going to fish the Costa and vice versa. For sure. And uh, it's going to be, it's fun. Like, I like Lake Okeechobee as much as it's kind of, as much as like Lake Okeechobee, I don't want to say it's overdone, but as much as it's old news, it's still something I like. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And And I really like when we have BFLs preceding an event. You know what I mean? Like before a Costa or something, because then... I feel like going into it, you have maybe a better feel on what to expect. And, you know, we, we talk with the winners of the BFLs. So then you, like, you kind of get a more hands-on feel instead of just, like, calling a local, you know, that should do – or that uh, a local on a lake that the coast is happening on. And maybe they've been out there, maybe they haven't. You know, not that that's not accurate. But I, I think having a real derby right before a Costa is kind of a good gauge as to what may – go down um yeah for sure one thing that's going to be interesting on this one is okeechobee is pretty low right now uh which has made a lot of lakes in florida are yeah which i guess which is odd the rest of the country seems to be extremely (laughs) high (laughs) Uh, but anyhow the my point is that there's a lot of uh i think it's going to be a little bit different than normal and we say this a lot about Okeechobee. Oh, this year it's going to be different, and then it's not. But it could legitimately be kind of a weird one. Um, and I don't know if that'll be good for the fishing or not. I mean, obviously Okeechobee still got them, regardless of sort of what the results are. But mm-hmm. it's going to be – there's a potential for some real oddball stuff to happen. Definitely. I think, uh, which is kind of fun. Um also, I've heard people want to, like, lock into rivers and stuff like that. And, like, I've heard 
you know, for that guy, some guys are like, well, I got a boat that can run shallower than anybody else. So I'm going to be able to get to places that nobody else can get to. Like we're talking like, you know, sort of Drew Benton style, like backwater ponds and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. Like it could be, it could be fun. Um, but we'll, uh, we'll see what happens. Um, it's going to be good. Anyhow, that is, uh, I guess that's about it. Would you say? Uh, yeah, I reckon. I reckon so. All right. Well, folks, if we missed anything, please tell us. Uh, you can reach us at podcast at flwfishing.com. <laughs> um, we'll probably have an interview with you uh, for you sometime this week uh, with somebody. Maybe Terry Bolton. It may not. We may dip down a little bit into the, uh, into the standings. Uh, we may even try and do a little Florida preview action. Ooh. And, uh, Kyle, I think you and I will probably... Figure out a way to get on the horn next week prior to the Costa. I know you're going down covering that one, but we should be able to make it happen early in the week, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think like uh, Monday or Tuesday we could probably finagle something. So I like that. And then, uh, you know, next week uh, Kyle and I will be together uh, working practice at Lake Toho, well, I guess two weeks from now. And that is, of course, going to be spectacular. It'll be a nonstop party, and uh, you better believe As always. we will have you a podcast then. We're not going to slack this time. Uh, yeah, we're going to be more in a rhythm now. But, yeah, I think so. Uh, anyway, lots of places to follow FLW, as you know. Um, FLW, oh, are you, are you ending it already? I kind of was. Oh, I was going to talk crap about how uh, I thoroughly despise that the Patriots are going back to the Super Bowl. Oh, Hey, but here's the thing. They're going back to the Super Bowl, baby. <laughs> you see, first of all, at least they didn't get in the way the Saints got beat. It Ooh, could have been worse. Yeah, yeah no, <laughs> right? that uh, fantastic game, uh, by the way. the Well, both of them, other than the blown pass interference call. That Here's the thing. No guarantee the Saints would have scored a touchdown. Right, uh, but, well, like, yeah, but probably a pretty they, good chance. I thought that if that ball's caught, then they're like easy in field goal range. You're talking Saints Rams? Yeah. Oh, uh, well, they hit the field goal anyway. So what am I? They hey, would have been like I still need first to down inside the ten or something. Like probably would have scored a touchdown, which in yeah. turn then would have pretty much. One, I guess, had things continue to play out the way they did. Yeah, either way. So, yeah, that was that was a little cringeworthy. Uh, I mean, still, I, I don't know. I guess I didn't really care about either of those teams. I like Drew Brees. Um, yeah, I actually neither. really I don't care about the I Chiefs or the Patriots. Strong opinions. But I was 100% a Chiefs fan in, the, in that game. Well, here's the thing. So, I've had Patrick Mahomes on my fantasy team all season. Humble bracket. <laughs> Let me tell you, I love Patrick Mahomes. He's amazing. <laughs> like, the guy is off the charts good. Like, I've been advocating the Pats trade Tom Brady for him all year long, which is obviously <laughs> not something that the Chiefs would ever say yes to. Right. Uh, but, man, I'm so glad they beat him. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, fantastic game, though. It really like, was. Like The way the, the Chiefs came, like – Brady got the ball, uh, drove him down, they kicked the field goal, and then there's like 38 seconds left. Mahomes gets the ball. They get a few lucky breaks on some penalties. 
because really they didn't drive the ball uh, otherwise. I mean, that was pretty much what got them in field goal range. They kicked the field goal. Boom, we're going to OT. It was like, holy crap. Yeah, the whole thing was like, oh, man, he left Brady too much time. They left Mahomes too much time. Oh, they left Mahomes too much time again. (laughs) It was one of the – it was great. Uh, I wish – so, like, I guess I don't watch enough FLW Live, and I don't know if guys make predictions like this, but, dude, Tony Romo was dead nuts on so many times. Oh my game. goodness! It was amazing. He's like, "Watch out for Edelman in the middle." Of, whoop, Eleven <laughs> yards up the. <laughs> it was incredible. Like, I yeah, there was one time because he Romo kept calling out like when uh, Brady would would scratch the play at the line and call a different one. He'd be like, "Oh, watch the uh, run off the left side off the tackle," and then like, oh, here goes uh, whatever his name is, Michelle. Yeah, Sony Michelle. Yeah, Boom. I only learned how Eight to say his game. name like halfway through the season. I thought it was Sonny. Sony. Yeah. Like gotcha. uh like the Walkman. Yeah, that was uh that was pretty wild. It was uh it was a blast. Like I had Also a, I mean I had a very nerve wracking time watching it, but I had a very good time watching it. Dude, I was pretty worked up watching it too, and like I said, I really didn't care about either team, uh, but I I put my Chiefs uh, you know hat yeah, on. Yeah, you I guess. kinda like you know, you gotta it's always more fun to pick a team to root for. Yeah. But, dude, I never thought, like, the Patriots are so good that Tom Brady can throw two interceptions that um, definitely, like, the way most of the game was going, I was like, dude, the Chiefs might actually win this thing, right? Like, Brady's throwing interceptions. That doesn't really happen. Uh, and then somehow they just find themselves back in it. Really, the Chiefs' defense is pretty terrible. This is also, I think, the most football we've ever talked about on this podcast. Which I'm okay with. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm down with it. If the pay, if the Pats win in the Super Bowl, we can talk about more football. If they don't, hey. we're gonna end it right here. <laughs> well, we we can have a Super Bowl viewing party. Uh, well, here's the thing. In Florida. I've watched the Super Bowl at tour events basically every single year I've worked <laughs> for FLW. Yeah, yeah. So I'm used to that. Like. I watched uh, I watched him beat Atlanta in Gunnersville, I think, and then oh yeah, I guess yep. last year, maybe last year we di- we weren't at a tour event. Mm, I thought I think we probably would have been though. I thought we were. I see. I feel like I would have more distinct memories of. So you know that play when Brady like. They passed the ball to Brady, and he didn't catch it. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I would have more distinct memories of being in a group setting if that had happened and I was in a group setting. Cause like, yeah, that's true. It just maybe seems it like was the week be before really we went thing. to a tournament. Like, maybe I was there in practice or something and, like, watched it. I don't know. But definitely Gunnersville. I watched that one, and... Uh, just seems like uh, a lot of tour events take place around you know when oh okay here we go last year is the super bowl usually the first uh week in february i don't 100 percent know i would say yeah so. last year so we there was a costa division event on havasu february 8th through the 10th another costa event the following week and then the tour event at the end of the month and we would have just 
gotten back from Okeechobee uh, the week prior. That was the last weekend of January. So probably didn't watch it at a probably at home. See, they all kind of it all kind of blends together. Yes, yes, it does. <laughs> Over time, <laughs> let's see. Yeah, so there was an open. Yeah, I would have watched it at home because it says here uh, on my calendar. I just scrolled back. Eagles forty-one, Patriots thirty-three. So, saying that score is, some people are going to be like, "Yeah, Kurt Mitchell, if you're <laughs> listening." <laughs> oh yeah, Kurt's um, <laughs> jumping up and down. Uh, yeah. So there was a bass open on Kissimmee, and I guess I would have be like driven home the day you know after that. So I would have watched that at home, and then you know, two days later, been flying out to the desert. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, this year we get a FLW viewing FLW viewing party again. Yeah, so uh hey, that could be good luck. Was that the that was the Falcons game yeah. that we had the big viewing party in the room and like had a three. bunch of pizza and wings and stuff? Yes. Yeah. That was the one where as they were coming back, everybody in the room except me was convinced <laughs> that they were going to come back. And I was yeah. and the whole time I'm like, "Oh no, this is something bad's going to happen." <laughs> Yeah, because I don't think anyone else in the room was rooting for the Patriots. No one also really had a vested interest in it. But. Yeah, there, I don't think there were any like actual Falcons fans there. No, no, it was just everyone didn't want the Patriots to win. Yeah. Anyhow, folks, thanks for sticking around for this segment of the podcast. Yeah, go you guys. <laughs> I really appreciate that. You're crazy. <laughs> um, and I guess now I'll end it. How's that sound? Yes, yes, that is that is fine. Okay, folks, lots of place to follow FLW. Uh, FLWfishing.com, obviously. FLW Fishing on YouTube uh, is an excellent place. FLW Fishing on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And uh, Kyle, mm-hmm. you are at Kyle Lumber on Instagram. I'm at Jody Blanco. And yes, I sir. think that about does it. I think it does. And uh, I guess with that, uh, everyone enjoy your week. We'll talk to you next time. See ya.